Eternal. I'm one of the elders here at Community Covenant Church, and as Pastor Josh mentioned, we welcome all of you this morning. Uh, it's always a privilege for me when uh, I'm asked to be able to share on a Sunday morning, and so I, I'm thankful to Pastor Josh for that opportunity. Uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing in the Advent series titled God With Us, and over the past three weeks, Pastor Josh has had us look at how God is with us in the silence of our lives and then how God meets us in the wilderness of our lives as he did with Elijah and then last week how God provides for us in the storms of our lives. But today, as Pastor Josh mentioned, we're going to be considering how God is with us as we go through the valleys of our lives how God uses those valleys to draw us closer to him. If you're like me, you find that most of life is actually like a level plane, that everyday, day-to-day kind of life that we just take for granted. Occasionally, we have opportunities to find mountains in our lives where life is at its best, those great and happy times that we kind of wish would last forever. But the uh, life also takes us into valleys. And uh, sometimes these are very deep valleys where we find ourselves struggling with hardship, sickness, loneliness, and sometimes even great loss. In the darkness of these valleys, we find ourselves asking God, where are you? Do you see me? Do you know what I'm going through? Do you hear my prayers? Sometimes, does God even care? It's a time when we find ourselves waiting on God, but heaven seems to be silent. As Pastor Josh pointed out over the past few weeks, the Jewish people went through a similar period of period of silence as they waited on heaven, but heaven was silent. For 400 years between the time of Malachi to those early events that are described in the Gospels, there was no prophets, there were no messengers, heaven was silent. 400 years of waiting until one day an angel appeared to a young girl and delivered a message. God broke through his silence, this long-awaited advent. The coming of the promised Messiah was about to unfold. God was sending the long-awaited Redeemer, his very son, into the world to restore that broken relationship between himself and the sinful mankind. He would be the savior of the world, the descendant of David, who was Israel's greatest king. Isaiah said that he would be God with us and that the government of God's eternal kingdom was going to be on his shoulders. 
as we saw in the reading here, he would be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And how did God arrange to implement this monumental plan? He would use a peasant teenage girl from a little backwoods town in first century Palestine to be the mother of this Messiah. And finding that she was pregnant, her fiancé would want to abandon her in disgrace. She'd eventually give birth to the child in an animal's stable in an out-of-the-way little town some 90 miles from her home leaving her only to place this little baby into an animal's feeding trough and use it as his crib. In the darkness of the night, far away from family and friends, the only ones that would come to visit would be strangers who lived and slept in the field with sheep. Would you think that anyone having seen this would have stood over that feeding trough and looked at this little child and said to themselves what Paul said to the Colossians. This child is the image of the invisible God. All things have been created through him, and in him all things hold together. I don't think so. I don't think that anyone having seen these events would have thought to themselves, this is God's son, this is God's plan, every piece of this has been orchestrated, and coordinated by God. But the truth is, as we know, they were. This is how God planned that he would bring his son, the long-awaited Messiah, into the world. This was God's plan. He caused it to be this way. Isaiah 55 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The truth is that God's ways are not our ways. And probably for most of us, we came to realize this early on in our Christian walk. Whether it was in the way that our prayers were answered, or maybe as we perceived it, not answered. Or maybe it was in the struggles and the difficulties we faced, the valleys that we found ourselves in. We came to the realization that God's ways are not our ways. And as we found in this Christmas story, and we find throughout both the Old and the New Testament, God will at times move in unexpected ways. And we're going to see this uh, this morning in the little Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a, was a prophet to the southern kingdom of uh, Judah. He lived some 600 years before Jesus was born. The land of Judah was, was occupied by the Jews, who were God's chosen people. The people that Moses had delivered from Egyptian slavery some 800 years earlier. But, but during all of those years, there was a constant cycle of the people rebelling and then drifting away from God, only to have events that would occur that would bring them back to him. But inevitably, they would drift away again, and the cycle continued, generation 
after generation. Habakkuk appears on the scene at the time when the people had, again, abandoned God. And so, with the people living in outright rebellion against God, Habakkuk asks the question in chapter 1, Where are you, God? How long are you going to let this go on? So God says to him, If I were to tell you what I'm going to do, you would never believe it. And Habakkuk effectively says, yes, I will. So God says, okay, I'm going to use the Babylonians to judge my people. And Habakkuk says, I don't believe it. You see, Babylon was an emerging superpower, and they were known for their vicious and murderous invasion of their neighboring countries that God was going to use Babylon to judge the people of Judah is not at all what Habakkuk would have expected. So Habakkuk ends up spending the last half of chapter 1 asking why would a holy God use such wicked people to chastise his own special people? So he started the chapter by asking why God wasn't doing anything about the people of Judah, and then he ends it by saying, why would you do this? But then the, the book takes a major pivot at the beginning of chapter 2. Here Habakkuk stops questioning God, and instead he waits to see what God is going to say. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. Habakkuk stops with all of the why questions and instead, he surrenders himself to wait on God. And it's only after he commits himself to waiting on God that the Lord uses the next 17 verses of the chapter to show him how Babylon is going to have its day of reckoning. But for today, the Lord is going to use them as a tool of chastisement against his own people. Verse 20 of chapter 2 concludes, the Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Habakkuk has gone from questioning God to waiting on God to finally recognizing that God is on his throne, that he's in control of all things, and that all of the earth should be silent before him. Put yourself in Habakkuk's shoes for a minute. He knows that his nation is going to be invaded. And even with that, he finds peace in knowing that God is in control. So much so that Habakkuk concludes his book by writing a, 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 a prayer, which was a prayer hymn that takes up the entirety of chapter 3. In the first 15 verses of this, he, he remembers the greatness of God and how he had delivered the people of Israel through his mighty works and his miracles. And then in verse 16 to 18, he writes, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, 
Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. God hasn't changed his plan. The difficult times are still in store for Judah. The prophet knows that the nation is going to be invaded by this merciless enemy, that many people will be taken into exile, many will be killed, the temple and Jerusalem are going to be destroyed, and yet he knows that God is with him. Habakkuk is going to trust him no matter what happens, and this trust in God causes Habakkuk to worship. This little book of Habakkuk is just one of many examples in the scriptures where we find that God's ways are not our ways. Just as it was for Habakkuk, God's plan for our lives will also take us to places, sometimes very difficult places, that are going to challenge us to trust him. And what we come to find, though, is that maturity in the Christian life is directly related to our willingness to submit to Christ as our Lord, even through the difficult trials of life. In his New Testament letter, James writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James is basically telling us, right, that the trials that we face will, in fact, test our faith. And we've all found this to be true, isn't that right? In the dark times, when we're worried about what's going to happen, when we're lonely, when we're broken, when life is just crashing in on us, we find ourselves asking, God, where are you? James says that the testing of, in our, of our faith in moments like these develops in us perseverance. The Amplified Bible says it produces endurance, that inner resolve to keep going. He goes on to say that these trials lead to maturity and completeness in our Christian walk. And didn't we just see something like this in our recent series in Philippians, where Paul said to be anxious for nothing, but that in every situation, that would be the good, but it would also be in the trials, that in every situation, we're to trust him. And in so doing, he, Paul says that the peace of God will keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Knowing that God is with us brings us peace. Knowing that we're in God's plan for our life brings us joy. And peace and joy are the byproducts of a mature Christian walk. This peace of God that Paul writes about is not based on the results of our circumstances. This peace of God is in knowing that he's in control of our circumstances. That even in the valleys, 
God is in control. Even when the circumstances seem as if God is not there, he is. And we have to remember that God's ways are not our ways. That God causes all things to work together for his eternal purposes. And that if you are in Christ, those purposes will be for your good. We can find peace and joy, even in our trials, if we surrender and we submit ourselves to whatever plan that God has for our lives. There is no better example of this than in the life of Jesus. In obedience to his Father's plan, Jesus came into the world to die on a cross to satisfy the righteous justice of God. That by his death, he made peace between God and mankind. He restored that broken relationship between God and us so that we could be God's children adopted into his family. But this obedience to God's plan placed a demand on Jesus' life with unimaginable consequences. Hanging on the cross that day, God turned his back on his son, and for the first time in eternity, the son was separated from the father. If you remember the night before Jesus died, he asked the father if there was some other way, and then he surrendered and submitted, saying, nevertheless, not my will, Thine be done. There is an, an amazing section of Scripture in Hebrews 5 that says that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayer and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard for his godly fear. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. This is a, this is a profound section of scripture that goes well beyond this morning's message. But there are a couple of things that I think that are important for us to see. It says that Jesus was heard for his godly fear. God heard his prayer. God didn't change the plan. He didn't deliver Jesus from going to the cross, but he did hear his prayer. As was the case with Habakkuk and is with us, God hears our prayers, but he may not remove us from our trials. In his silence, God may be saying to, the, to us, that you, you must go through this, my child. Notice in verse 8, he says that he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus was truly God and truly man. But in his humanity, it says that he learned obedience. And this is not a, a moral obedience, because as we know, Jesus was sinless. This was Jesus in his humanity learning to trust the Father through surrender and obedience to God's will. 
Jesus is our example. God's plan for our lives will include difficult valleys. But like Jesus, we must persevere in a trusting faith that causes us to grow in our Christian walk. The, Hebrew of, the, the, the writer to the Hebrews touches on this again in Hebrews 12. Speaking of Jesus, he says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus' sole purpose in life was to do the will of the Father, even in enduring death on a cross. It says that he found joy because he was fulfilling God's purpose for his life, obediently submitting to his Father's will brought joy to Jesus' life. Verse 3 tells us to consider him who endured such opposition. We're to look to Jesus as our model, as, as an example of how God is going to take us into valleys to accomplish his purposes in our lives. The writer is encouraging us to come to grips with this so that when we find ourselves in these darkest of valleys, we don't become discouraged but that instead we look to Jesus as the model for trusting that God sees us, that he watches over us as his plan unfolds in our lives. God has a purpose for allowing valleys into our lives, and we don't want to miss that purpose. His plan for all of us is that we would mature in our Christian lives to become like his son. And just as Jesus matured through his sufferings, we too must grow through our trials in order to grow in maturity. Romans 8.28 is one of those commonly quoted scriptures in a message like this. It says that we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What we need to remember is that Paul says that we know. He doesn't say that it's a wish. He doesn't say we hope. He says that we know. He says that we know that God causes all things to work together. God is sovereign over all creation. Nothing in our lives happens without his oversight. He may cause things to happen, or he may just simply permit them to happen. But nothing in life is a random happenstance that has God sitting at the edge of heaven wondering what's going to happen next. He's causing all things to work together for his purposes. And if we're in Christ then those things will work for our good. And what is that good? What is that good? It's the pinnacle of existence. For us to become like Christ and to grow into a deeper relationship with the Father. There is no higher purpose in life. Many of us, and I, I, 
I speak for myself, many of us, need a perspective change in how we look at a message something like this. We look kind of uh, with sadness or fear on the difficulties that trials may bring into our lives, all the while turning a blind eye to the blessings that God will surely bring into our lives through trials. I'm not talking about God's blessing us with earthly rewards because of our obedience. I'm talking about experiencing more of God as we humbly submit to where he leads us in his plan for our lives. Every time that God calls us to do something difficult, he promises us something incredible, and that is that he will be with us. I find a couple of things that stand out from all of what we've looked at this morning. The first being that God's ways are not our ways. There are things that happen to us in life that we will never understand on this side of heaven. We're left only to trust him. But the essence of faith is not to silence all of our doubts because everything in life makes sense to us. The essence of faith is for us to be confident that God sees us, that he watches over us, that he is sovereign over all of creation. And as Habakkuk said, let all of the earth be silent before him. The second thing is that God uses the valleys in our lives to bring us to a deeper walk with him. The valleys in our lives are very real. They come with very real and difficult emotions. Some of you are there this morning with feelings of anger, fear, hurt, maybe sadness, loneliness, maybe even feelings of despair. God knows where you are. And like Habakkuk, he asks us to wait on his plan for our lives. Waiting on him develops a, a patience, and it kind of changes our perspective from what, what we want in our lives to what he wants in our lives. His answer to our prayers may be that you must go through this. There will be blessings on the other side, but you must go through this. But you know, if God allowed us just for one moment to have his eternal perspective, to be able to see what he sees and knows what he knows, we would always choose his plan over our plan. Life is going to bring us into valleys, and some of these valleys are going to last for a season. And some of the valleys that God leads us into may be lifelong. But as he works in our lives to bring us into a deeper walk with Christ, we will find peace 
and joy, even in the deepest of valleys. Revelation 21 says that one day he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We started this morning by looking at the Christmas story, and I, I want to end there as well. When we think of the Christmas story, we're not brought to thoughts of Jesus dying on a cross. Yet, this was the reason for his birth. The reason that he came into the world, to die on a cross, this was God's gift to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This morning's message hopefully brings some amount of encouragement to those who believe in Jesus, to those who are in Christ. But the promise that all things will work together for good is, is not for everyone. It's only to those who love God, to those who are his children. And there's only one way to be right with God. There's only one way to have all things be working together for good in your life. And that's if you confess Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. If you've never made that decision, I encourage you to do so. In the quietness of your own time and in your own words, ask him to come into your life and to make himself known to you. As Pastor Josh mentioned, this morning when you came in, you received uh, a Connect card. And when you look down, it says, it gives you a couple of options uh, to check off. If this is you, you'd like to know a little bit more about what it means to be a follower of Christ, to be a child of God. We have a box that says, begin a relationship with Jesus. I encourage you to check that. No one's going to come visit you. No one's going to call you. We just have some information that hopefully will be helpful for you as you take that next step. And if you find yourself this morning in one of these valleys and you'd like to, a little bit more to think about in terms of how is God moving in my life in the valleys. We have a box there that you can check that says valleys. We'd like to send something along with you. And lastly, we, uh, at the end of the service, I will be here along with members from our prayer team uh, if you, anything you'd like to talk about, especially if there's anything that you'd like to have prayer over as you find yourself in a valley of life or anything, we'll be here on the side after service this morning. So let's take a moment in prayer. Our Father, we, we acknowledge you as being holy and uh, sovereign over all of creation. And like a Habakkuk, we're driven to worship you. We ask that you would help us through your Holy Spirit to know you better and to walk more closely with you. That we might become mature, faithful disciples of your Son. That even in the valleys of life that we would find peace and joy.
that comes from knowing that, that you hold us in the palm of your hand. May we as individuals and as a church bring glory and honor to you. And we pray these things through Christ our Lord. And everybody said, Amen.